Marco. Pretty good. Let's try that. Marco. The conditioned response, right? One person says something and then there is the response. Knock, knock. Broken pencil. Never mind, it's pointless. It isn't just Marco Polo or knock-knock jokes. All day long, something happens and we respond. The alarm goes off. We turn it off, curse, and roll over and hope to get two more minutes of sleep. The light turns red, we stop. The light turns green, we go. Someone cuts us off, we curse and hit the brakes. (laughs) Sometimes bad things happen and our response reveals our heart. Sometimes good things happen and we are happy to respond to those things. Well, this morning we come to Numbers chapter 14, which follows chapter 13. Wow, thanks, Pastor Dan. You're an amazing Bible preacher. Chapter 14 is the people's response to the report of the Canaan Exploration Committee that we read about in chapter 13. Before we read any of it, let's go before the author in prayer. Lord, we are always glad for you to speak to us, uh, even to hear the hard things that you might say, to recall the uh, hard things that took place in the past, but they serve as a keen reminder of all that has been accomplished for us in Christ, who has fulfilled the law, who has taken the fullness of your just anger in order that we might receive an overwhelming measure of mercy and grace and to walk with any measure of faithfulness. Stir our hearts by your Holy Spirit descending, bearing witness to the reading and proclamation of your word that we would go away from your word changed. And so we pray for the preacher, knowing that he is not worthy, but by your grace he is able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, before we jump into Numbers 14, let's do a quick review of the two reports from the Canaan Exploration Committee in chapter 13. The first of the two reports, they see the problem and in unbelief want to give up. Remember the song? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan, ten were bad and two were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall, some saw grapes and clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. Nice job. (laughs) What made the ten bad? Well, it was that all they could see was the problem. They saw the fortified cities. They saw the powerful people. They see the problem and in unbelief want to give up. And so they spread a bad report, a whispering report, going around and encouraging people in unbelief to give up. But there's a second report, and two who see the Lord and in belief want to go up. Those two were Joshua and Caleb. Caleb articulates in verse 30 of chapter 13, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. And their confidence is not in themselves. They said, we can do it because the Lord has given us this land. Joshua and Caleb see the Lord and in belief want to go up. They encourage the people in belief to go up. So who will the people listen to? Who would we listen to? Who do we listen to? 
in our world today? Do we listen to thoughtful people who speak in belief or do we listen to Fox News or virtually any news media outlet these days with sensationalism, partisanship, polarizing viewpoints and opinions that demonize the other side? Beginning with Adam and Eve, humanity seems to have this tendency to listen to voices that urge independence from God. It's something for us to consider before we share a post, retweet, or like a mean-spirited meme. And that takes us to Numbers chapter 14, which comes with four sets of responses. In the first nine verses, we have the two responses to the two reports. Listen to God's word from those nine verses. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. In these two responses to the two reports, notice the first two words of our passage. That night. It was an immediate response a reactionary response, didn't sleep on it. There was no pause to reflect. There was no pause to pray. How many times have you ever responded to something and as soon as the words came out of your mouth, you wished you could have taken them right back in? How often do we listen not to understand, but listen to respond? We need to take a breath, to take a pause to pray. Then notice who was responding in that first verse. That night, All the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the people of the community. No one affirmed the minority report from Joshua and Caleb. The entire community turned in unbelief. The community then needed scapegoats. And verse 2 tells us, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And isn't that still what we do today? We grumble against the government, or the other political party. It's the boss. It's the co-worker. It's the teacher's fault. It's the doctor. Grumblers need a target for their grumbling. But is the target really the problem? They grumble against, that is, they grumble directly to Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. But their real complaint is against who? The Lord. They don't speak, of course, to the Lord. They ask indirectly, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Well, if your question is to the Lord, ask the Lord. And if you do ask the Lord, 
the answer is going to be, you're not going to fall by the sword. I'm giving you this land. This is the kind of thing that happens to us every day. Situation reveals our hearts. The situation happens, and we either respond in belief or unbelief. If we respond in unbelief, it's the thorn bush Jeremiah 17 speaks of. Belief means we respond as a fruit tree, bearing good fruit out of that belief. Same situation, but two different responses, one marked by unbelief and one marked by belief. One that takes it to the Lord and allows the Lord to transform us by those situations. Here in unbelief, they say, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And again and again throughout the book of Numbers, we hear the Israelites say, we want to go back to Egypt. My oldest daughter, who is a bigger Star Wars fan than I am, sent me a meme, a picture of the character Finn, who in the movie exclaims, why does everyone want to go back to Jakku? And with a reference to Numbers 14, verse 4, Finn exclaims, why does everyone want to go back to Egypt? So that's the response of all the community. But there are two responses to the two reports, and the second response comes from Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb. Look again at verse 5. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite community, uh, assembly gathered there. Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes. They're doing demonstrations of mourning, repentance, reverent fear at this rebellion. Verse 8, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. Only do not rebel against the Lord. So Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb understand that the rebellion is not really against them. Even worse, they are rebelling against the Lord himself. And so they go on to say, do not be afraid of the people of the land. We will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. One of the books that I reread every year is a book by Ed Welch, When People Are Big and God is Small. It's a book about what's called the fear of man or peer pressure or people pleasing. Anybody else besides me? We care more about what people think than we care of what God thinks of us. Yeah, I know, God has sacrificed his own son for my salvation. He's adopted me as his own child because of his great love for me. But what if I don't get any likes in my Instagram post? When people are big and God is small, we fear people instead of fearing the Lord. The redemptive opposite to people-pleasing is people-loving, to love people as God has so loved us. F.F. Bruce said, The best way to destroy an enemy is to turn him into a friend. The best way to destroy an enemy is to turn him into a friend. And that takes us to verses 10 through 19 and the two responses to the two responses. Listen again to God's word beginning at verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. 
By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They've already heard that you, O Lord, are with these people, and that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the desert. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The two responses to their two responses begins with the Lord's response in verse 11. The Lord says to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? Let that sink in for a moment. Whenever someone says they would believe in God if they could just see God do some miraculous signs, take them back to the book of Numbers. The Red Sea had parted before the people. The pillar of fire that led them at night. The glory cloud that had settled down among them. Or consider Jesus and all of his miraculous signs, the miraculous healings, miraculous feedings, raising the dead. He himself was raised from the dead and people would still not believe. And then the Lord makes an offer to Moses in verse 12. I will strike them down with a plague, destroy them, and I will make you a greater nation, uh, stronger than they. The Lord makes an offer to Moses that's quite an offer. Forget these people. Let's make a stronger nation in your name, Moses. Don't like this church? Go find a better one. Go make a better one. How would you respond to an offer of, I'll strike down everyone in your workplace and get you a greater job? I'll strike down all those mean people in your school and give you a greater school. I'll strike down all your governing officials and give you a greater government. Now consider the second response to those two responses. The incredible response from Moses, who is concerned not for his honor. Moses is concerned for the honor of the Lord. Verses 15 and 16. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard about you will say the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the desert. Again, Moses is not concerned about his fame. Moses is concerned for the fame of the Lord. Oh Lord, don't let your name be defamed. You are the God who takes what is weak and gives victory by your strength. Show yourself to be the God you are that you might be praised. In verse 17, may the Lord's strength be displayed. How is the Lord's strength displayed? Not in plague and destruction, but by great mercy. Verse 18, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. It takes greater strength to love than to hate. It takes greater strength to forgive than to hold a grudge. 
It takes greater strength to restrain evil than to vent that anger, to restrain anger than to vent anger. If we are to be slow to anger, to abound in love, to forgive, it is because of the Lord's great strength conquering us. And so verse 18, the second half, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Um, Moses, did you really need to remind the Lord about that part? Couldn't you just remind the Lord about the loving and forgiving part? Ixnay on the unish pay, you know? Don't remind him he punishes sin, but he punishes sin. And the God who loves and forgives and who also punishes sin goes hand in hand. Christ was punished on our behalf. Christ has received the full punishment of sin so that love and forgiveness come to us. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there are no consequences or that repentance is not needed. And so Moses calls out in verse 19, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. They have already experienced grace because of what Christ would eventually accomplish. And that takes us to verses 20 to 38 and the Lord's twofold response. Listen, beginning at verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them just as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who is counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the desert. Here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, 
and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. The first of the Lord's twofold response in verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked. That's good news. And notice that the Lord says, I have forgiven. It's a completed action, not I will forgive or I'm considering it if, but I have forgiven them. But verse 21, nevertheless, as surely as I live, not one of them will see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. So they are forgiven, but there are consequences. Consequences don't, does not mean you are not forgiven. Forgiveness and consequences are two different things. And so we talk about grace and consequences. You can be forgiven for a car crash by people, but the damage must still be repaired. Grace and consequences. Those who are in prison still doing restitution and a process of repentance and restoration, but there can absolutely be forgiveness. Grace and consequences. A process of restoration. There's forgiveness, but you're still pregnant and must still make amends. You must still go through the process of repentance and restoration. Grace and consequences. And there may be long-term consequences depending on the situation. Forgiveness means freedom from condemnation, but not necessarily freedom from consequences. And the Lord will do a redemptive, eternal work through those consequences, promoting repentance, promoting reconciliation, promoting restoration. And it points us to Christ, the Lord's divine consequences to Israel that are the Lord's divine consequences that take us through the redemptive person of Christ. Christ who received the condemnation so that we would only have to face consequences. And so that other part of the Lord's twofold response in verse 29, in this desert your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who were counted in the census, who have grumbled against me, not one of you unto the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. You will die in the desert, just like you wanted. And your children will not become plunder, but your children will enter the land. So verse 34 tells us that for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days that they explored the land, they will suffer and know what it is like to have God against them. That is a lasting lesson. It sounds like a grudge, but the Lord is doing something more. He's doing something permanent. He's making a lasting impression. 40 years is a generation. And so all of this is a reminder to us that this book of the Bible is written for the second generation. It gives the summary statement in verses 36 to 38 that the Lord would do, and it explains it, that that's exactly what happened. The 10 men who gave the whispering report, the bad report, they died, but Joshua and Caleb, who gave the faithful report, survived. And that points to us in Christ is, is to say, we ought to take seriously our rebellion against the Lord, the sin against the Lord, and to realize this is the fate that we deserve. But because of Christ, we might face some consequences, but we can always continue to walk ahead because of God's continued grace. And all of that takes us to the last section 
verses 39 to 45, and the people's twofold response. Listen, beginning at 39. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they went up toward the high hill country. We have sinned, they said. We will go up to the place the Lord promised. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. And the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. The people's twofold response. First in verse 39, when Moses reported to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. And certainly an appropriate response to conviction and an appropriate response to being called out is mourning, feeling sorry for your sins. However, we see that it is a mere feeling sorry and not real repentance. It's more like, sorry you got caught, but not sorry for your sin. I'm sorry you got caught, got in trouble, but I'm not, not really sorry for my sin. It's what we do as parents when we say, you need to apologize to your brother. Fine, I'm sorry. Let's try that again. Fine. Go hug your brother. (laughs) You're not sorry for your sin. You're sorry you got caught. True sorrow comes with true repentance and following the Lord. Verse 40, we have sinned. We'll go up to the place the Lord promised still about you. You're still doing what you think is right. Verse 41, and Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Don't go up. The Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. You go when the Lord says go, and only when he does. And now he says no. And the second of the twofold responses in verse 44, nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up and they were defeated presumption, an assumption taken for granted. You assume it's okay. And it's presumption instead of permission. They went without Moses. They went without the Ark of the Covenant. They went without Jesus. What so many churches seek to do when they say, oh, we have a great new marketing strategy. We have a shiny new mission statement. We have great new programs, a new building project. Our church will be successful because of all these things. We'll be successful whether we have Jesus or not. The late Dr. Tozer, author and pastor, said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. We are to go up in belief in belief of Jesus, to follow Jesus. God has called us to go up. Will it be hard? Yes. Is it overwhelming? Yes. Can it only be done because the Lord is with us? Yes, yes, and yes. Not by presumption, but by the Lord's hand. Embrace grace and consequences by the Lord's hand. 
Don't look for a better offer. Make your current offer better by the Lord's hand. Destroy your enemy by making them your friend by the Lord's hand. And may the truth set us free. Amen.